So today we're finishing the series that really started on Easter Sunday. We're calling it Living the Resurrection. Uh, and it's based on a really simple premise. If the resurrection of Jesus was real, if it was a real historical event, which by the way, as disciples of Jesus, y'all, we can disagree on a lot of things, except for this. Disciples of Jesus have a non-negotiable belief that Jesus was raised into a resurrection body. It is a core, essential element of our faith. You don't have to believe that, but a disciple of Jesus does. We believe that if the resurrection is not a real historical event, then we have nothing. That's what we talked about last week. That Jesus is just another tragic victim of a Roman cross that without the empty tomb, the cross has no meaning. So we believe in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, pointing forward to the resurrection awaiting each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Amen or just amen? It's kind of a subtle amen for such a profound truth. I don't know. I'm gonna make these guys Pentecostal one of these days. Here's the deal. Having said all that and given such a robust amen as you did, for a people who have such a firm non-negotiable belief that a resurrection has already taken place in this world. Think about that. Like we're affirming that a resurrection has already taken place and we're saying it's a non-negotiable in our belief. So for a people who say that, why do we so often find ourselves living as if this is just the same old ordinary, broken, pre-resurrection world. Especially Christians, why do we often find ourselves living as if this is all there is? That the best we can do is just do the best we can do and hope that someday everything will get better. I think Jesus has a better way. So today I wanna read you uh, one more a resurrection appearance story, Jesus appearing to Mary in the midst of her grief and her loss. Uh, so I wanna look at our scripture, listen to our scripture, and then I wanna walk us through the passage in a different way after we've read it. Um, this comes to us from John's gospel. This is John chapter 20. And you're of course welcome to follow along in your own Bibles. We're not gonna put the words up on the screen though. I would really invite you, especially for this story, just to listen, to maybe receive it this time. And then later on today, you can go home and read it. Again, it comes from John chapter 20. So I'm gonna start in verse 11. It says that Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. I don't know if John's leaving anything out, but is that interesting to you? You peek down into an empty tomb and you're looking for a body and you see two angels and you just rationally answer the question. <laughs> Why are you crying? Oh, I'm looking for somebody. You know where he is? <laughs> she was focused. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, 
If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm glad that the text clarified for us. There's like 57 Marys in the gospel. So it tells us that this is Mary Magdalene. But it's important to notice. This woman was chosen by Jesus to be the first eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. He chose her to be the first one to see him. He also chose her to be the first evangelist. The first preacher of the good news. She is the first person in history who went and preached the good news that Jesus Christ was risen. Sabrina, can women preach? Amen. (laughs) All right, so let's get right into this. I wanna read you something. Uh, This is written by a scholar named M.T. Wright. Uh, He's got a really little, very practical and easy to read study of John's gospel called John for Everyone. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is I want you to notice he's not inviting us to study the text or just read the text. He's actually inviting us to enter into the stories ourselves, to consider our place in it. So as we do this, um, this might be a little difficult. This might bring up some emotional things, um, some real intimate struggles that, we're, that we are having. So I just wanna invite you to listen. Um, just listen and consider If maybe as we read these stories, sometimes they're reading us back, right? That these stories aren't just information, that they're actually shaping us into the people that God has created us to be. So this is what N.T. Wright says. He says, stand with her as she's weeping. Don't rush through it. Tears are good. They have their own natural rhythm. Shouldn't be afraid of your tears. So stand with her as she weeps. And think of somebody else that you know who has wept bitterly this week. Bring them with you too. The two of you stand there with Mary. And hold them all, the people, the tears, hold them in your mind as you're standing outside the tomb. And then, whenever you're ready, Stoop down and look into the tomb itself. But be prepared for a surprise. I mean, where did those angels come from anyway? They weren't there earlier when Peter and John had been inside the tomb themselves. Or maybe they had been there. Maybe sometimes you can only see angels through your tears. In the Gospels, when people are afraid, angels tend to tell them, don't be. And when people are in tears, the angels simply ask why. Woman, why are you crying? 
So I want to ask you to take just a second and answer that question. You're standing there with Mary, you're peering into the tomb. If you're experiencing any sadness or loss or pain, where does it come from? What is it? Where are your tears coming from? What have you lost? What's been taken away? What's been taken away from you? Maybe it's your way of life. Maybe it's a job or some opportunity you had. Uh, for some, it's a loss of their rights. Others feel a loss of dignity, losing hope. For others, very specifically, right now, the loss of somebody that they love. And listen to Mary's answer. They've taken away my master. He says that John gives us this story because in this moment, the grief of the entire world is focused on a disciple named Mary. And he goes on to say this. He says, now as you stand with Mary and think about your answers to that question and hers, turn around. Turn around and see the strange figure standing there. What's he doing? Who is he? Who is he to you? Mary's intuitive answer that he must be a gardener, it was wrong, but also right in the deepest possible way. And I have to interrupt Dr. Wright really quick because I, I can't go on without pointing this out. Do you see where we are? We're in a garden with a man and a woman. A woman who Jesus first refers to as woman and then later calls her by her name, Mary. For those of you familiar with the very first story in scripture, this should sound very familiar. And there's a reason for it. So N.T. Wright goes on to tell us why. He says the reason this should sound familiar is because you are now standing in new creation. And Jesus is the beginning of it. And here he is, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He has come to uproot the thorns and thistles of this broken world and replace them with blossoms and harvest. Amen? Is that good news? When we bring our pain and our loss to the foot of the cross, we do so trusting that the empty tomb consumes them and allows us to move forward into the life that God created us to live. So I wanna show you a couple things, uh, a couple details from this story um, that I think are gonna be really helpful to us as we move back out into the world. Back in verse 16, uh, Jesus says, Mary, he calls her by her name and she turns to him and do you remember what she calls him? Rabboni, right? Which is the Hebrew word for teacher, just rabbi. And he says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the father. Now, in some of your translations, it might say, don't touch me. Um, so the Greek word is this word hapto and it sometimes is used to describe just touching something. But more commonly, it's used to describe grasping, like holding tightly to something or someone so that you can't let go. 
He is saying, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. That is a better use of this word in this context. You see, he's not telling her, as some people have believed, that you can't touch a resurrection body. That's not what he's saying. We know that's not what he's saying because the very next story, he appears to his disciples and what does he invite them to do? To touch his resurrection body, to touch the wounds, right? So this is not about something weird about the resurrection body that she can't touch it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't cling to the thing you lost. You see, when she sees the resurrected Christ, she calls him rabbi, teacher. That's what he was to her. She's clinging to the Jesus she knew, to the Jesus she lost, to the Jesus that was. Jesus is inviting her into something new, into a new relationship. A resurrection has happened in history, in time and space already. They are standing in the new creation, a renewed garden. Everything has changed, even the nature of their relationship. You see, he's saying our relationship is no longer just student and teacher. He says, when you find my brothers, tell them that I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. When Jesus says to my father and to your father, do you see what he's saying? Your relationship with him is no longer student-teacher. It's no longer only student-teacher, let's say it that way. It's now also brother and sister. Brother and brother. Mary, a child of God, is standing with the resurrected son of God. He is now more than just a teacher. And he tells her, go find his brothers and tell them the same thing. Now, who are his brothers? You guys know this. The disciples, the 12, right? Now, Jesus had actual brothers, but he's clearly talking about the disciples. It says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and then gave them his message. Jesus used to call these guys friends. He used to call him his disciples. But y'all, a resurrection has happened in time and space, already in the past. This is the coming of the new creation and everything has changed. Reality has changed. His relationship to them is no longer simply student-teacher. They're no longer now just his friends. They're brothers. They are children of God in a new relationship with the Son of God who is the firstborn of the resurrection, the promise that's laid out for each and every one of us. So here's why this matters. Here's why this this is, gets really practical um, for us today. I love it when we try to find our place in the story. Sabrina's really good at helping us do that. But I really love it when we see that story in our lives. Um, so I wanna ask a question, and this might sound like a weird question at first, and I'll tell you, let's make it rhetorical so that you don't give the wrong answer. Fair enough? Okay. So it's kind of a weird question. Um, but when was Mary living? She's calling Jesus by his old title, teacher. She's trying to hold on, to cling to her rabbi. When is she living? Yeah, she's living in the past. You see, Jesus is no longer just her teacher. He's her brother. He's, he's more than that. He's the resurrected Messiah. 
The resurrection of Jesus ushers in new creation, which means new possibilities, new hope, a renewed relationship, and a new future. But when he finds Mary, he finds her clinging to the past. And it's understandable, life with Rabbi Jesus was good. It was good. The resurrection life, it promises so much more than just good. When Mary goes to find the disciples, his brothers, where are they? It says that they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So same question. When were the disciples living? Now, I would argue they weren't living in the past, that they were very much living in the present. They were hiding in fear, in real, legitimate, present fear. There were real threats to their lives. So they may have been mourning the loss of the past, but in that moment, in that locked room, they were firmly in the present. The problem is they were doing it and living according to their own strength. They were devising their own plans, trying to get through on their own power. And the best solution they could come up with was what? To lock themselves away. To hide because of fear and because of their loss. A wise person uh, once told me, and this was a really profound thing. Uh, the first time I heard it, I'd never heard it before, and it kind of knocked me off my feet. So <laughs> I probably can't do it justice, but um, they told me this. They said that all change is experienced as loss. that all change is experienced by us as loss. And y'all, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that really explains a lot of what happens to us internally and together as we try to live together. Now, change isn't necessarily loss, but change is experienced by us as a loss. You know what I mean? So of course, Mary would cling to what she knew, to what was familiar, to what was safe. We all do that. Life with Rabbi Jesus was good. Can we just go back? And of course, the disciples would initially hide in their fear. Change is experienced as loss and loss is often paralyzing. There's uncertainty, there's pressure stress. What is our next move? How do we even go on from here? You see, every person in this room, every one of us, we've experienced change. You know exactly what this feels like. Change is experienced as loss and loss is hard. And Jesus knows that. That's why in every one of the resurrection appearance stories in the gospels, he meets his disciples right where they are. And then he offers them exactly what they need so that they can move on. Like Mary needed to see how their relationship was changed. So he meets her in a garden and he shows her the hope of new creation. You guys remember Thomas, right? What's his first name? Doubting Tom, yeah. Like, apparently the only person in history who's ever doubted. <laughs> Poor guy. 
What did he need? He needed to touch and see that Jesus was truly raised from the dead, that the crucified Jesus was now the resurrected Messiah. And go back and read the story. Jesus doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't condemn him. This is later in John 20. He does say that it'll be a blessing for those who can believe in me without having to see or without having to touch. But he doesn't condemn Thomas. He doesn't ridicule him. What does he do? He says, come on, touch it. Touch the wounds of my crucifixion so you know that it's me. He gives him exactly what he needs so that Thomas can move on to what God has in store for him next. Peter, the man who stood firmly by Jesus' side until he didn't, until the trial and the crucifixion. He went from friend and disciple to denier in an instant. What Peter needed was forgiveness and restoration. If you go home later today, read John chapter 21. Read the story of Peter's restoration. And you're gonna see that Jesus met Peter exactly where he was and he offered Peter exactly what he needed so he could move on to what God had in store for him next. He offers that to you as well. Meet you right where you are and give you exactly what you need so you can move on to what God has in store for you next. And see, the truth is that we all have a past, right? Some of it is wonderful and some of it's tragic individually, but even as a people, as a nation, as a world, we all, there's a history and some of it's wonderful and some of it's tragic. And what we tend to do is that when we're faced with fear and loss in the present, if we have uncertainty about the future, we're kind of wired to forget about the hard things of the past and just remember the good things. And when that happens, like Mary, we're easily tempted to cling to what was because at least it's familiar, right? Like, and it feels safe. Our lives are lived in the present right now, right? And in the present, there are wonderful things. We live in the present where there's new birth, graduation parties. We get to watch Star Wars movies and go watch the Astros win. There's good things that we experience each and every day. But we also live in a world that's full of tragedy filled with war and disease and starvation with shootings at a church or a grocery store that are racially motivated and hatred and anger that expresses itself in horrific ways and we see that on the news every day and like the disciples we're easily tempted to lock ourselves away and hide just hoping that all the insanity stops or sometimes we fight back, right? We, we fight, but the problem is we often do it on our own strength. And I don't know about you, but when I fight battles on my own strength, man, I just make things so much worse. So here's the good news. And this isn't just like pie in the sky future hope. We've said it over and over already today. We live in a world where a resurrection has already happened. 
not just something that will one day happen. It has already happened 2,000 years ago. And if it's true as we believe it is, that means everything has changed. Reality has changed. And Jesus, while he was still on earth, invites his disciples and extends to us today, invites us to live into that new reality, to live a new life, a life that's lived in light of a resurrection that's already happened, a new life lived each day in light of the promise of the new creation that's coming. He invites us to live in a world where a resurrection has already taken place, a new garden where men and women relate differently to each other. Like it's radical that Jesus went to Mary first. For that time, it's radical. We now live in a world where men and women relate to each other differently. We're headed to a world where the races relate to one another differently. Where we will all be together, one big choir, singing that perfect song. Moving toward a world where even our political differences we relate to each other differently. And y'all, I'm convinced Jesus is saying to us right now, there is a place on earth where that is already happening, where men and women, where the races, where political divides, where we relate to each other differently, and it's right here. That this is the place where that happens. That is a sign of the new creation that's coming that he will fulfill one day. But he invites us to live into it now. He invites us in a world where we relate to God differently because that relationship has been restored. So the question is, which of these worlds is shaping the way that you live? Like we are being shaped and influenced and transformed by one world or another. So which one is it? Is it the world of the past? Is it just this present reality? The best it'll ever get is the good stuff now. And we just find a way to deal with the tragedies. Or are you ready and willing to live in a new creation where a past resurrection offers future hope? I said this earlier to our graduating seniors that for them, life will never be the same. But the world of their childhood, it, it's past. I have a graduating senior. <laughs> It's a hard thing to say, but it's true. And that doesn't make it bad because there are incredible things in store for them. Yet all change is experienced as loss. So we go to God with that. They have problems that they need to solve and work out today. They have fears of what's coming tomorrow. So we just invite them to ask themselves which world is gonna shape you as you move forward. The reality is, as hard as this is, the rea- you can't go back. I was telling them, having a senior this year myself, in the past couple months, I've asked myself over and over, if I could go back to my graduation, what might I do different after? Have you guys ever wondered, have you ever thought about that? It's interesting, but what's the point? We can't do it. You can't go back to what was. And you don't have to solve the problems and fears of today on your own. Because you're not alone. Because Jesus has invited all of us to turn to our Father in heaven because we are children of God. 
invite us to turn to our Father in heaven so that he can guide us through all of the troubles day by day. In just a minute, we're gonna ordain and install new church officers, new elders and deacons. I'll ask them this question and I'll ask the whole church, which world is gonna shape us as a church? Will we be tempted to go back to what was? Because at least that's familiar. It's comfortable. And I understand that. Y'all, I've been at this church for 20 years. <laughs> a little hiatus, but <laughs> I remember the past too. I have great memories of the past. But is the past the future of this church? Are we gonna just settle and rely on our own strength to solve the problems that we face today? Or are we gonna pray that God will open our eyes and give us vision to see a brighter future than we could even imagine, a future that's defined by God's will, as my friend Mike Bangs always likes to say, and I'm, this is a little different than what you'd like to say, Mike, but are we gonna live into a future that's defined by God's will? And are we gonna do it God's way? Are we gonna pursue that future by God's power, not our own? Are we gonna trust that the way that he set before us is not just good? It's beyond what we could even comprehend. So which of these worlds is shaping us? Which of these worlds is shaping you? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for the hope of our resurrection to come, that you are the firstborn of the resurrection and that is the hope that lies before each and every one of us. But you have given us a life to live for a reason, every day, numbered and with a purpose. So I pray that as we live in this in-between, in this new creation coming but not here quite yet, that you would just help us to see how we can be a resurrection people. How that firm, non-negotiable belief that a resurrection has already happened, that it impacts the way we live every single day. And give us the strength to live it out as we go out into the world until we meet again next week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.